Hello and welcome back to Love at First Screening, no. the show where no, no, no. What are you doing? <gasps> You're right. Madison. I'm on the wrong one. We should keep this <laughs> in. <laughs> I thought you were being funny. I'm like, no, no. It's my turn. God damn it. <laughs> we're keeping it's my all turn. Of this. <laughs> we're keeping all of this. <sighs> okay, take two. Mm-hmm. Hello, and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where usually my friend, co-host, and rom-com enthusiast Madison. That's me! Introduces me, Chelsea, the resident genre skeptic to all the cliche... Feel good. Questionable. Romantic. Sometimes humorous. Definitely hilarious. Films I've never wanted to watch. But, as Madison forgot, this week... (laughs) It's Cynic's Choice! I chose the movie, which means that you know two things. One, it was good. And two, it was gay. And really, that's all you need to know. <laughs> and thank God we have lesbians this week. Thank God for the lesbians. Thank God for the lesbians. Oh my God. You know, Chelsea, speaking of lesbians, actually, no, that's not a good segue. But uh, I, I have, <laughs> I have an update for you. Oh, okay. I'm now a mother. A mother? Yeah. You look great. Thank you. I feel Not like I'm glowing. sleep deprived as all. Nope. Nope. I just water them and throw them under the grow lights. It's like a nanny. I have plants. <laughs> I'm Do growing. They have names? No, because I want to make sure that they survive the hardening off period before I get too attached to them. That's when you move them from inside to outside for anyone who doesn't know. But I have so many little radish babies. I don't even know if I like radishes. I'm just growing them. And I have some loofah babies. I found a new one today that I'm so excited about. Uh, I have some tomato babies, some spinach, some lettuce. I mean, I'm just, I have a basil baby. I'm basically mother nature. You are. Sounds like it. I'm surprised you've never had radishes, but they're really good in a salad. They add like a really satisfying crunch. Nice. You know, like texturally, they're very nice. They're Mm -hmm. like very fresh, but I don't think they have like too strong a flavor. Sometimes they can be like a little bit like zingy, like spicy, but Mm -hmm. they're not like overpowering. It's just they're nice. So I'll, I'll have to send you some. I'll be like, here, here's the fruits of my labor. Mm. More like the roots yeah. of my labor. See what I did there? Yeah, it's a root vegetable. It's a root vegetable. Well, Madison, this week I learned as an update just to my life mm-hmm. uh, that I walk too quickly for automatic doors. <laughs> um, How did you learn this, Chelsea? I learned this at a Kroger when I was leaving the store and I walked into the door, which had not had a chance to open because I walked too quickly. That's incredible. We need to start programming the doors to move at Chelsea speed. Correct. Can you or can you not state if that is faster than the speed of light? Mm. Depends on the day. Oh, what influences that? Like, what's the difference? Well, I'm solar powered, clearly. So yeah, that's true. So, uh, you know. If I've had enough time to charge, then maybe. 
Maybe I'm faster than the speed of light. Oh, oh shit. Oh, shit. She out people here. Thought, people thought the fastest thing in the universe was light, uh, but actually it's me. Especially in uh, relation to automatic doors. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, here's the thing. My friends make fun of me all the time. We were back in October. We went to Salem, Massachusetts, which is, you know, October. It's a very spooky time. Not the best time. That's like the height of their tourist season. So not the best time to go <laughs> if you're afraid of like crowds. Uh, but I keep getting, I kept getting yelled at from all my friends. They were like, slow the fuck down. And I was like, I'm just walking at a normal pace. Like I'm not trying to walk that quickly. That's just the pace at which I walk. And it wasn't until the final day, I wore the wrong shoes. And Mm. it wasn't until the final day that uh, people were able to keep up with me because at that point I had blisters. I was slowing me down to a normal pace. At that point, you were incapacitated. So, wow. I'm now really afraid to soon go on a journey with you. What if you just leave me in the woods? That seems like a you problem. Wow. This is why I'm bringing Marissa as backup. Yeah. We're flying out on the same flight. I think it's we're going to have a fun time in the woods. And it'll be spectacular and I will walk at the speed at which I walk and everyone can yell at me although I don't think you should be able to yell at me it'll be my birthday that seems kind of rude I think all of you should just have to jog that's what I was planning I'm actually gearing up I went on a walk with my mom today when the weather was really nice and I also uh, am sunlight charged but I've I've been preparing for this I've been walking the whole neighborhood because she also walks super fast. She actually slows it down for me, which I really respect. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I was able to keep up with you on that big ass hill today. And she was like, yeah, good job. And I know the truth is that she slowed down for me, but I like to take that win wherever I can. I, I won't slow down for you, Madison. It's like really painful. It's really painful for me to walk slower than my body wants to walk. Look, if I have to end up like dislocating my hip, to keep up with you. I'm going to do it. That's the type of friend I am. I'm willing to risk bodily harm to match your pace. I think really the type of friendship we have is one where we, you know, communicate to each other. And I tell you, I will not be slowing down for you. And you understanding that that means you need to adjust so that (laughs) you don't get left behind, you know? Yeah. And speaking of communication, that's what the relationships in the movie we watched are all lacking. Yes. They, that's the main conflict at the center of 2017's The Fields, which was written and directed by Janela Lamarck, who also uh, acts in the film as Nikki, the elder sister of our two leads, who are played by Constance Wu and Angela Timber. Constance Wu plays Andy, Angela Timber plays Lou, and they are two brides about to get married to each other off on their bachelorette weekend with all of their friends. And it's supposed to be a great time. Things start out a little rocky. Uh, Lou has clearly a tenuous relationship with her sister who's kind of flaky and she doesn't make it until later. And Lou's feeling very nervous because she only has one friend there. Andy has three and all of it's going great when Nikki uh, arrives 
at the dinner, she brings with her a little present, a fun little party favor. She brings her friend Molly. Yeah, she brings Molly for the whole gang. And while they are under the influence and Lou is flying high as a kite, she asks the question, is this what an orgasm feels like? Revealing to the entire party and her fiance that she has never, in fact, had an orgasm. As you can understand, this is particularly troubling for Andy, her fiance, (laughs) who thinks that everything in their relationship is going smoothly, including the sex. And so the rest of the weekend kind of spirals into a uncomfortable, awkward situation where everyone is staying at the same house And they're having to confront a lot of situations and topics that they don't necessarily want to confront. And Andy and Lou both have to examine their relationship and whether it's something that should continue, if there's something that can be fixed, and if it can, what is the problem? Is the problem the lack of orgasms or is the problem something else? Hint, it's it's something else. It's communication. That's the problem. (laughs) Orgasms would happen if there was communication. (laughs) And at the end of the weekend, they decide that they're going to stay together because they can fix this. Intermittently, you get these really kind of odd but charming confession cams where each of the people attending the weekend are talking about their first orgasms. And at the very end, it cuts back to Lou, who says her first orgasm is TBD, but she's excited to move on to the future with the love of her life, Andy. So overall, this is a, you know, really sweet, little quirky, uh, at times a little bit odd uh, (laughs) story about trust and love and communication and friendship and relationships. Um, And it's a really tight 90 minutes for those who don't like a a long movie. Yeah. So that's, that's the feels. That's what we watched. And now I have the immense pleasure of guessing whether or not Madison liked this movie. And I feel like I'm almost cheating because the truth is I know that Madison loves a sapphic story, which this most definitely is. I do. And I know for a fact, as Madison loves side characters, that Helen, uh, played by by the non-binary actor Ever Maynard, uh, who actually won an award for this movie. Oh, nice. They won Outstanding Actress at the LA Outfest and then Outstanding Performance at Long Beach Q Film Festival. And then the film itself won Best Feature at New Fest uh, in New York. So, That's awesome. Yeah, and it was nominated for a few other awards. So I'm going to guess that you liked this this film, Madison. I did. At first I was like... What the fuck is going on? Where are we going with this? And then I was like, I get it. Let's keep going. And I, I agree with you. It's a tight 90 minutes. If you want a quickie, this is it for you. You're welcome. But if for you that. want a satisfying quickie, <laughs> I, this is also for you. No, I really enjoyed it. I thought that I liked the little uh, confession cam asides because uh, it kind of throws me back to the inserts during When Harry Met Sally, which I love. And I thought that 
they were interesting. They were fun, but they were also really touching because uh, the ones that go on later are really honest. You know, some of them are silly or awkward or just kind of gut-wrenching. I like a movie that's very comedy-focused, but also have these points of like genuine gravity to kind of ground it back into something that feels very valuable to watch. Uh, So yeah, I enjoyed this. Helen uh, rocks my world watching this movie. As I knew she, they would. She would. Yeah. Character she. Yep. Character. Uh, As I knew she would. It's a fun, it's a fun movie. And I think unlike a lot of the movies we've watched up until this point is really honest about the mechanics of a relationship. I think a lot of rom-coms are very focused on the will they won't they or the getting to the being together part. We don't often explore people who are actually in a relationship. Yeah. It's very I think it's very rare that we have a couple that's already together at the start of the film and doesn't either break up in the middle and end up with a different person or a couple that is the whole point of the film is them getting together. Here we have an established couple. They're engaged to be married and it's, you know, talking about problems that that people face. Communication, honestly, I feel like if you asked any therapist, they would probably tell you that that's the number one issue that people have in any relationship, not just specifically like romantic and sexual relationships, but friendships, business partnerships. I think people don't know how to communicate. Oh yeah. And really quick, uh, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to shirk my duties. I know that this one thankfully was out of my hands. It's much better hands with you, but, uh, I did want to propose a drink and that drink, even though they were not at the beach, is a sex on the beach where I would assume that no no orgasms would be had anyway because sand is everywhere. You got vodka, peach schnapps, oranges, and cranberry juice. Great. A classic. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So jumping back. I, I think the part of this movie that I loved so much was being able to relate to both Constance Wu's character and her fiance's character in this. Constance Wu's character was like, I hate that you don't feel safe with me, basically. Like, it really bothers me that all my friends are telling me that this is an issue that you can't orgasm because you don't feel safe enough with me to do that. And then she goes, I don't feel safe with you. And that just like knocked the wind out of her sails. But also watching it, it completely knocked the wind out of my sails. Because I was like, you're getting married to her. And you're now admitting that you don't feel safe with her. And then Constance Wu's character was like, well, how am I supposed to know there's a problem if you don't vocalize any part of it? And and she's like, you know, you had to grow up and be a fucking adult about this and have a conversation about your needs. If you have problems, you have to bring them up. 
And on the other token, she's, you know, she's clearly not someone who is used to bringing forth any kind of confrontation. And we see confrontation a lot as this, you know, bad word, dirty word, aggressive word, but it's not. It's just bringing forth an issue to discuss. It honestly brought me, we're going to get so personal here. It brought me right back to... I, I went to therapy for the first time after I got out of a really terrible relationship and I only did it for a couple of weeks. I decided to start going because I watched uh, the first season of Fleabag. And <laughs> so I went, I started going to therapy again, like almost a year after that point because I had just started dating someone new and it was a really different type of relate. Like it felt really different. The person I was with was completely different than the person that I had been dating before that ended so, so horrifically awfully. And I decided to go there because I was like, I don't know how to be in a relationship because the end of my previous romantic relationship also coincided with the end of a really close platonic friendship like it just all converged at once and that is it converged for well they converged anyway uh, <laughs> and so I went back into therapy because I realized that in this relationship I never was able to truly voice what I was upset about because I had the mindset of it would be more of a pain to bring it up and address it than to just live with it. And you do that so many times and it just compounds and then that gets bigger and bigger. And so that's why I went to therapy for the second time was because it's like, I need to know how to communicate in relationships across the board, but especially romantically, because I realized I had no idea how to say what I wanted. And I also had no idea how to approach somebody about asking them what they wanted. And so I loved this conversation that they had so much because I've been both of them. You know, it's really interesting that you bring up not wanting the hassle of asking for what you want or asking what another person wants. The character Vivian, one of the friends, one of the first things they say, like one of the very first scenes is the party all getting to this rental house for the bachelorette weekend. And the character Vivian, when they're asking her about her relationship, she is basically like, she doesn't, like, it's not a good relationship. She's not happy. And they're like, are you going to break up with him? And she's like, I don't know. It's just so much of a hassle like mm -hmm. to break up with someone. I think this really speaks to not just this area of life, but in many areas of life, it's really hard to change things. Mm -hmm. The effort it takes both mentally and, um, you know, emotionally, physically, it's, it's really difficult to get yourself out of a bad situation because you know, especially in a situation like this, like there will be hurt feelings. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know how long she's been dating this person that apparently is too much of a hassle to break up with him. Yeah. But, you know, to a certain extent, your lives might be entangled. Like, I don't know if they live together. That would be mm -hmm. obviously a lot more complicated, uh, you know. And so I think that people do. They let things go on too long. And also... Like you were saying, the hassle of working through a rough patch, like 
or like my needs aren't being met. So I'm going to tell you what I need. And then together we will figure out how, you know, how to do this, like what, Mm -hmm. what is going to change. I think to a certain extent, there's probably a fear of rejection, a fear of being dismissed or invalidated by your partner. But Mm -hmm. I think that if you don't do it, the risk is that you're going to end up in a relationship where you're completely unsatisfied and none of your needs, whether it be like Lou and Andy, it's orgasms, or if it's something like we later see uh, Lou's older sister, Nikki, who's going through a divorce and actually had an affair, cheated on her husband. But when she confesses that the reason for the affair is that she wasn't feeling taken care of emotionally, her husband wasn't paying attention for her. And instead of speaking up, she just went and had an affair with the guy that was showing her attention, because that felt easier somehow. But ultimately, it blew up her marriage. I understand it to a degree of you get to a point where you feel either so burnt out or there's so much that hasn't been said that it's almost this instinct of just cut and run. If I can just burn that bridge and start building anew, maybe that would just be easier. You built that bridge for, and this is to say that sometimes you should burn bridges. I'm very pro-arson. We know this, but it's my favorite crime. I've never committed arson. I want that on the record for legal purposes and for job potential. Obviously, sometimes the best option is to just burn it to the ground. It's sort of like, you know, are you going to buy the fixer-up house that's going to cost triple the amount that you bought the house for to fix it up or do you just go with one that has already has a stable foundation that sort of thing but we find it so much easier to go well if I just can't get it here then I'll just go there instead of just saying hey how about we try this or I need this and I think it's like it's exactly what you said of it's that fear of invalidation it's the fear of the word no that's my That's something that I've worked on a lot is just being okay with the answer being no because you'll psych yourself up and not ask and that's the same thing as a no. And you could have gotten a yes if you had just asked. Part of me wonders if in the evolution of how society is structured in terms of its expectations when it comes to romantic relationships and the purposes of those kinds of relationships... You know, historically, like if we talk about the institution of marriage, it's essential. I mean, if you go back far enough, right, it's it's mm-hmm. just property. That, yeah. That's what that it's about, like from a legal standpoint. As you move forward and these relate, you know, our relationships to these institutions and to each other change for a variety of different complex reasons that we don't have time to get into. But I wonder <laughs> as as those things change and now and now I think. Ultimately, the expectation is partnership in a relationship. You're looking Mm -hmm. for someone who you're going through life with and who's going to be there for you and you're going to be there for. I wonder if that shift in expectation partnered with, I think, the romantic kind of rosy eyed view of romance, Mm -hmm. which I guess was a weird way to phrase that, but you know, the very... (laughs) The very rose-colored glasses view of romantic relationships through storytelling 
mediums like romantic comedies where things just seem to like work and the conflicts tend to always be outside Mm -hmm. conflicts that influence the relationship one way or the other rather than in this situation where you have the conflict is coming from you know the calls coming from inside the house (laughs) yeah um you know it's it's not that it's not that especially right this is a story about um two women in a relationship and this story at no point has anything it doesn't confront you know homophobia that's not what this story is about this story is about an established couple all of the people that are in the story are supportive of them. They're their friends and family. And so instead, these characters are not confronting like an ununderstanding world. They're confronting the fact that they are not communicating the way that they need to be. Mm-hmm. And I often think that our expectations of what a relationship will be or, or love or, or sex or whatever, in part, is probably influenced by the media that we consume yeah in media because they're telling a story and they're not going step by step through the everyday nitty gritty of it you kind of gloss over those road bumps that you would have in a relationship Mm -hmm. where ooh, wait we've hit a sore spot we need to have a conversation about this like i don't like this or i need you to do this instead of that Mm-hmm. And I think especially with sex, when you see it depicted on screen, you know, it's it's very like, it's just a whirlwind of passion and everybody knows exactly what to do to get the other person off. And like, is that realistic? Probably not. <laughs> you need to talk. Clearly, it's not right. Because in this situation, because they're not communicating, one person thinks that they're having incredible sex. And sidebar, sex is not about orgasms, right? Also, I've just become increasingly aware that many family members listen to this podcast and I'm just going to continue. We just, should we have an orgasm counter of how many times we say the word? <laughs> well, we are both women, Madison, so... It can happen multiple times. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ, mom, turn it off now. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm going to put like a... A warning label. Honestly, how can I talk about this movie and not talk about sex? It's impossible. It is. Anyway, one one partner in this relationship between Andy and Lou, Lou's been faking her orgasms. So Andy believes that they're having really satisfying sex. And I'd like to say that I think that they are. Lou says to her at one point, it's the best sex I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Just because she's not having orgasms doesn't mean she's not enjoying herself. Yeah. But but if she wants an orgasm, and I think that she does, she needs to be able to communicate to Andy what is and is not working and what does and does not feel good. And together, right, it takes two to tango. It takes two to do the horizontal <laughs> tango, at least two. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude to polycules you know what i mean yeah don't yuck anybody's yum that's not what i'm about but it takes at least two to tango actually no it doesn't it (laughs) chelsea you can strum your guitar on your own you can be a a one woman band oh my god i really hope that none of my family's listening to this (laughs) i'm 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 as red as a tomato right now. I just realized that my godmother also sometimes listens to this. 
dear God. I feel like half of our listeners are, I'm never going to be able to look anybody in the eye ever again. <laughs> anyway, just, it's too late now. I'm just going to continue. Um, in a situation where two people are engaging in a consensual adult activity together, it is up to both of those people to make the situation as pleasurable as possible. I'm sorry. I just want to note that you were like consensual adult activity. And I really wanted to make a joke about like, oh, like pickleball, but it's lesbians. So it wouldn't work. (laughs) This has become very unhinged. But you know what? I'm going to take this time because I'm actually really disappointed, Madison. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. Um, We just didn't plan very well. We actually recorded last week a very special bonus episode that you all will get to hear in sometime in this summer. Yeah, and it's so good. Oh my god. And it is it's all about sex in romantic comedies, sex on film, things like that. Not specifically pornography, although I believe Madison went on a tangent about the first porno ever film. So, you know, you have that to look forward to. It was the first hardcore porn. <laughs> You'll get to know about that later. No one look at Madison's DVD library is. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) I think I have like four DVDs. (laughs) Four pornos? (laughs) Because you literally just went, I have like four DVDs. I do, but I'm thinking about... Jesus Christ. Okay, I know for a fact that I have Casablanca, Pretty Woman, When Harry Met Sally, and Rocky Horror Picture Show on DVD that I've personally purchased from my own collection, so. Some of those are kind of sexy. I was about to say, some of them. I'm sorry. Are you you kidding me? Tim Curry in lingerie? Okay, Chelsea, I want to set a scene for you really quick, okay? This is completely off on an absolute tangent. We'll circle back eventually, but I want you to know that my entire life changed. For the better, likely, when I was nine years old. It was right before Halloween. We were carving pumpkins. I was bored of carving pumpkins. My dad went and put something on the television. I wasn't paying attention. I was nine. I get bored of carving pumpkins because I was bad at it because I was nine. And I go and sit on the couch and I'm watching this movie. And there are a bunch of like strange dressed people. Susan Sarandon is there. And suddenly this elevator is descending on screen and it opens up to Tim Curry in fishnets and a corset. And I've never been the same. He's hot. I know. Dr. Frankenfurter's hot. I'll say it. You heard it from me. He's hot. Why is anyone trying to ban drag? I've never seen anyone hotter than a fucking drag queen. There's this one. I'm going to shout her out. Siberia the Queen. She's based in Atlanta. Also, uh, Miss He, who's also based in Atlanta. Oh my God. They are so fucking hot. I swear to God. Yeah. Siberia the Queen is like six trillion feet tall. But you were saying... We, we we didn't plan this well because we have an amazing bonus episode. Yes. 
So the bonus episode all about sex and rom-coms, we had an incredible conversation with a really great guest. And I'm only disappointed because we had not watched and recorded this episode for this movie until now. Like we recorded that episode last week. And so up until that point, the sexiest movie we had watched was The Hating Game, which we specifically wanted to talk about with our guests. But I would have loved to have this on the table to discuss. Uh, and we just, you know, poor planning on our part. But if you enjoy anything we say about sex in this episode, I think you're going to love that bonus episode premiering this summer. It's going to be amazing. I mean, when we hung up the call, Chelsea and I both just looked at each other and was like, that was fucking amazing. You guys are in for a treat. This movie was a treat too. This movie is a treat. And so I don't really even know what I was saying before getting embarrassed (laughs) and being very self-conscious about our listener base, which is mostly my family. Uh (laughs) Yeah. I did want to talk about Helen. I feel like Helen needs a spotlight. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the incredible character, Helen, who is Lou's only friend that arrives she says that her best friend was like really pregnant and having a baby and wasn't able to make the bachelorette when they first arrive she's there with mostly andy's friends and then helen helen from the get-go is just one of the like kindest people but it's like how awkward would it be if you walked into that situation because they arrive at this house prior to Andy and Lou the rest of the guests minus Nikki she walks in and just talking to them and how awkward would it be to meet a bunch of like combining friend groups is really hard yeah and then to make them meet on their own is just so awkward especially when it seems that Three of them already know each other. And then there's this random other person that's never met anybody else. And they're like, oh, who are you? Oh. And she's like so kind. She's like hugging them. She just wants to be part of the party. She is uh, one of the Corrine or Corinne, Karen, Karen. I don't remember what her name is. It's one of those. It's K-A-R-I with a tilde over it. And I don't know. Corinne? Unclear. Whoever, whoever she is, but I said it with like a flourish because she's like a, a singer, like she's a, on tour, but she has like four days off for this weekend. But Helen is a super fan of hers and is like, oh my gosh, you're incredible. I have all of these questions. She's like the most excited to hang mm-hmm. with these people. And I, I just love her. And she has some real choice chef's kiss moments. <laughs> The morning after they go out and confession has been made that, you know, Lou has never had an orgasm. Uh, Vivian says, you were the designated driver because <laughs> Helen's talking about the fact that they all got shit faced and she doesn't yeah. remember anything. And Vivian's like, you were our designated driver. And Helen goes, designated driver to the bar. <laughs> we, and she's like, and we Ubered back. And they're like, yeah, but designated driver means that you don't drink. <laughs> and you certainly don't do Molly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just, oh, incredible. But even better than that was when they're going back to get her van. And yes. she's talking to the Uber driver. And okay, 
Paul is Helen in that moment. I've never met somebody who so easily engages with Uber drivers. Like, I'm, I don't try to be a dick or anything. I'm usually kind of quiet because I'm like, oh, they're going about their life. If they want to talk, I'll talk to them, that sort of thing. But Paul just actively engages like every single Uber driver ever. And I remember there was this one, we were going to Ponce. And for anyone who is not familiar with Georgia, uh, that is a fancy place where you can go and shop and eat and hang out and have fun in Atlanta. Anyway, um, so we were going to meet some friends at Ponce and he struck up a conversation with our Uber driver who was an older woman. And I swear to God, she was like, I would adopt you if I could. You're out here trying to get adopted by Uber drivers. That's incredible. Thank you so much for giving me this on-flight entertainment. And Helen, Helen's the one who brings that to a party. I admire Yeah, Helen is asking this guy about himself. Honestly, I don't blame, I think she would have done this regardless, but I think I don't blame her in this situation because the tension in the car is so thick. And um, so she starts asking Doug, the Uber driver, what a guy. And he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, either sleepwalkers. I'm a sleep eater or a sleep cooker. And he's talking about this. And then she's like, wow, you should like document this. Do you have a portfolio? He's like, yeah, I got a website. I can like, and so genuinely engaged with this guy. And it's some of the best material ever Maynard plays Helen they are like a stand-up comic and a writer so like it does not surprise me that they won two awards for this performance I think it's really spectacular and you know your favorite park ranger is also one of these people anytime we go anywhere they make friends like we went to that wedding and they made friends with the entire hotel staff by we were there two days (laughs) made friends with the entire hotel staff got a free six dollar jug of water from one of them oh my gosh that's incredible i know so apparently they're just cut from the same cloth they really are no i've i'm one of those people that people approach often to strike up conversations i don't know what it is about my energy that invites that because my face does not convey hey you should talk to me but it's never anything fun like that it's well except when it's in bathrooms uh at places where uh people can get drunk then it's very fun (laughs) the last time that i went out i made like three bathroom friends so but yeah no helen in this and i think i like helen so much because It's not like the shoehorned comedic relief character. It's just goofy. Yeah, she's really, she's so goofy. And she is just genuinely trying to like make sure everybody has a good time and like wants to engage with people. Yeah. Kind of just falls outside of that like societal expectation straitjacket that I think people are in a lot of the time. And feeling like you have to behave a certain way. It's giving like three beers in barbecue dad energy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I I really appreciate it. And honestly, within this movie is incredibly needed, not just for the 
comedic relief that a lot of these interactions provide, but also in a story where a lot of characters are not communicating to each other. Helen is an open fucking book. Yeah. Helen just wants to tell you stories, no matter how embarrassing, wants to talk to you, wants to engage with you, even if you're, you know, not feeling like that's the best idea at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a great friend. She offers an out to Lou, who is feeling very embarrassed the morning after. So they go pick up the car, you know, from the bar where they Mm -hmm. left it because (laughs) it was only the designated driver to the bar. (laughs) What a concept. (laughs) There's, you know what, there's an out for anyone looking to, you know, not get yelled at by their friends. It's like, oh no, I just agreed to be the designated driver to the bar. Yeah, not from the bar. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What an icon Mm. Helen is. I also love when Helen went up to Lou and Andy and tried to give them (laughs) the gift that she brought because their argument broke out during the gift-giving moment of the weekend. I'm trying... Okay, the only thing that I didn't like about this movie was just the existence of the guy friend. Yeah, Josh. I... His character kind of frustrated me in that as the best lifelong best friend of a lesbian, I feel like he is somehow still manages to be a disgusting guy. Yeah. Who doesn't respect women and doesn't respect women loving women as Mm -hmm. its own thing and not something produced by the porn industry for him. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that. I also feel like I know a lot, obviously Helen and Karen, Karen, Corinne, whatever her name is, they both are queer. Um, It's not stated explicitly how they identify. Vivian could possibly be bisexual. We know that she's dating a man. Her sexuality is not explicitly stated. Josh appears to be a straight man. So same with Lou's older sister. Again, not stated, but she has had multiple relationships with men. So that's the only kind of information that we have to go off of. I'm a little shocked that there weren't more queer folks. I I, I do appreciate that there was more than just the brides, but I think I would have liked maybe if Josh had been like gay or bisexual or instead of this random straight guy. And I get that they've been friends all their lives, but that whole thing on the bridge where that brings up an interesting thing I want to talk to you about. They're on the bridge after him and uh, Andy. And, you know, she's saying like, she, you know, Lou is faking it. How was I supposed to know? Mm -hmm. And Josh has this really weird moment where he basically says, that Andy is just willfully ignorant of the things that are going wrong that I don't think I can get behind. No. Not just because it's coming out of Josh's mouth. I mean, (laughs) though I do have a problem with that, but because what responsibility do we have to understand things that aren't explicitly stated? I do think there is a certain amount that, you know, we should be able to infer from a situation. But when it comes to this particular conundrum where you have two people in a relationship and one of whom is Lou is faking it how how is Andy supposed to know 
And not only is Lou faking it, but Lou at no point has alluded to or explicitly said to her partner that her needs are not being met. Mm-hmm. I think there are other issues that are on Andy. I do think, I'm, I'm not trying to say that Andy is the victim, but I think that particular scenario, I don't think that it's on Andy for not knowing. I do, however, believe that, yes, Andy, as is pointed out to her by a couple of her friends, has not made a safe environment in which Lou feels like she can have that conversation with Andy. So in that respect, yeah, I do think that she could be a little more thoughtful and like nurturing like for her partner. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just knowing that Lou hasn't had an orgasm, I don't think that that's on Andy. No, And I think it's really shitty of Josh to imply that you just have to know everything. Mm -hmm. And this is something that's been brought up in other rom-coms. You know, I know I don't, I can't even think of which rom-com it is, but like relationships don't just end for no reason or like, and I know we've stated in kind of the, the implication in that sentiment is that you know something's wrong with the relationship and you just don't want to see it. But mm-hmm. I think that if somebody's hiding something from you, that's that's not on you. <laughs> no. It circles back around to when Andy's like, how the fuck am I supposed to know if you never bring it up? And I think that it brings up an interesting discussion on, you know, Andy's a clearly a very strong-willed person. You know, she has a very commanding presence. She's louder. She's funny. Uh, she's really highly engaging. Lou is more quiet, reserved, distanced. And you see those types of people in dynamics a lot because, you know, they can, they, they balance each other really well. It could make sense that maybe Lou was like, I don't know if I can cut through the noise of Andy to address this. But that's also not, that's still not fair to Andy. I keep going back and forth because it's like, could Andy have potentially been more attentive to Lou? Yeah, but like you said, she was faking it. Which, by the way, this podcast episode is brought to you by no longer faking orgasms. We don't do it. Anyway, it's also brought to you by Kegels, which can help. (laughs) And Josh pointing out, well, you're willfully ignorant about, you know, situations like that and stuff because I've been in love with you for 30 years. Here's the thing. It's been going around on TikTok lately and it's true. Women in your friend group, there is at least one guy who has feelings for you and represses them to maintain the friendship. We're, we know. We're aware. We are completely aware and we choose to not acknowledge it because we're doing the same thing in that we don't have feelings back for you and to not strain the relationship. We're not going to point it out that we know. Well, also in, and, and I, I hate to push back on that Madison because ultimately I would support the woman in that situation for reasons that we've discussed previously of extreme cases where domestic violence comes into play when men are rejected. Uh, However, I think that the problem with both the man repressing his feelings and yeah. not and and a, a woman not 
acknowledging it is ultimately all about the man's feelings. Yeah, that's true. And we we do not understand how to have healthy conversations. I don't think enough has been modeled for us. Like, how do you deal with rejection in a healthy manner? Obviously, in this story, it it almost just feels completely out of left field and, like, what the fuck is even happening? Mm -hmm. Um, But... In, in a story where, like, a guy confesses to his lifelong best friend that he loves her, I feel as if we've almost been conditioned to feel sorry for that man. Yeah. And I think that that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because it creates this, in- this sense of entitlement. Yeah. To another person. Just mm-hmm. because you've always been in each other's lives, like, to make a relationship, you have to have two people that want to be in that relationship. Yeah. It's a partnership. So, like, you have to agree to be each other's partners. Men feel entitled over a lot of things. And this is just <laughs> one of the things that really bothers me. So, I think we need, I think we need to stop that. I think we need to figure out how to have better conversations um, you know, so it just all goes back to communication so that we can, like, have a, a healthy path forward. How do you have that conversation? Because honestly, I think someone healthily dealing with rejection, someone saying, I have feelings for you and f- discovering upon that confession that those feelings are not reciprocated, that offers that that gets rid of the what if, right? Yeah. That gets rid of the chance this person has said they're not interested and you now have to move on because there's no use being in love with a person your entire life. That's not going to reciprocate those feelings. Like that's, and it's, it's not fair for you to make that person feel bad that mm-hmm. they don't reciprocate. And it's not fair to yourself to wait around or pine after them. So yeah. I think that ultimately This all boils down to our favorite thing to promote on this uh, podcast, which is therapy. Yeah. Um, This podcast is brought to you by. (laughs) By therapy. It's brought to you by therapy. Um, Find a therapist. I know that it can be very difficult uh, for a number of reasons. There's a lot of barriers, but if you can, highly recommend it. Uh, These characters, everyone in this film could have benefited from a therapist. I'm just thinking about it too in terms of it's also like this I, I guess my, I'm, I'm still stuck on you know Josh's profession of love or whatever I mean one it's also at Andy's bachelorette party she's about to get married so like that information is useless at that point thank you for sharing with the class it doesn't mean anything in proximity to that it also makes me think about the idea of being with somebody and then for some reason it doesn't work out, but it's really amicable. And so you just stay friends and that element of the friendship just, it doesn't evolve into that or it doesn't change or it doesn't shift into that or it shifts back, you know, to what it was at a previous stage and how that's also just never discussed like people act like it would be so not that I have ever done this or have a friendship like this situation because 
well, Chelsea, you know, I've, I've never had sex. Um, at least as long as my mother is listening to this podcast, she knows, but for posterity's sake, but hypothetically, <laughs> you know, it is possible to have sex with somebody, you know, possibly with the intent of it being something to carry on in a romantic fashion, or maybe it's just sex. And then you just keep honest friends and leave part of that behind. You go, oh, actually, that didn't quite work. All right, well, you know, we still jive on every other level. And that's also, it doesn't matter. Because there's one other thing I want to talk about. And that is Corinne, Karen, Corrine, however you say her name. Doesn't matter. I hated it every time that she sang. And it has nothing to do with her voice, although it was a little Lana Del Rey for my leaning. I think I would die if someone just bust out into even a famous singer just bust out in song at a dinner table or some uh, just just acapella you know what i think it would actually be okay if they're not a dinner but like if there was some kind of backing track an instrument something karaoke fine an acapella serenade for any reason no i can't do it i'm out yeah, it just, it felt really awkward. Yeah. Especially, like, at a restaurant where they're not the only people there. No, and they're not even, like, in a secluded part of the restaurant. Yeah, they're, like, right smack dab in the middle of the restaurant, and she serenades them. Although, I, I couldn't tell, but to a certain extent, it seemed as if that's something that they wanted, but yeah. I, as the viewer, felt extremely uncomfortable with that acapella performance. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. honestly, I can't tell if that was the point or not. Like, I, do- I don't feel like it was. No, I think it was supposed to be touching. It was a little weird. It was a little awkward. But, you know, what are you going to do? If you have a famous friend, a friend that's that's a musician, they, they might want to perform for you. And <sighs> you, you never know when that will be. Look, Chelsea, I will perform anything you want for your birthday, um, but it will not be acapella unless I'm very drunk and I'm doing my share impersonation, which is possible. Great. I am really looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm so glad. When we try absinthe, we <laughs> Oh, God. I drank two bottles of wine by myself at my cousin's wedding. It was the most fun wedding I've ever been to. It was a really good time. <laughs> I drank like, two bottles of wine by myself. My mom was my DD. We had like a two-hour ride home after the wedding. I'm drunk as shit. And I just serenaded her with car karaoke for about an hour. And then she's like, weren't we going to finish listening to that podcast? And I was like, yeah. We were. Then I turned on the podcast and I fell asleep. Incredible. Yep. They'll never know how it ended. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a horror anthology podcast. I'll never know how that how that stretch ended. But Chelsea, was this even a rom-com? It's a really great, great question, Madison. Uh, to help us determine that, we, we have three pieces of criteria. So let's, let's walk through them. Number one, do they date? That's a little awkward in this case, right? Because they they already are together. But expanding the definition of dating, do we see the characters connecting on an emotional level, helping the relationship to progress? And in that case, I would say 
yeah, they have yeah. to have some tough conversations. They have to think, you know, confront some tough truths about mm-hmm. their relationship. And we do see them, we see them connecting in a way they've never had to or thought to connect before. Well, moments like that, you know, for them may have been hard to come by. Oh my God. <laughs> so glad oh I got my. to sneak that in. I agree. I think that it was really about, they know, or Josh notes in his speech at dinner that they had broken up once before. So maybe there is some recurring communication issues, except this time, instead of breaking things off, they actually worked through it. And that, I mean, their relationship really did, they each individually and then within the relationship evolved really well through the film. So they did date. All right. That's checkbox number one. Did we laugh? At Helen. (laughs) I loved Helen. I loved Helen. Okay. Anyone who hasn't watched this movie, just watch it for Helen. It's if you want to pitch it to anyone, just say it's wine country, but gay. And then if they say what's wine country, pitch it to them as like it's bridesmaids, but there's no romance. And it's like a girl's trip but with almost the same cast as Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, but make it gay and you've got this movie. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that that we laughed and definitely str- you can see that you were supposed to find these moments humorous that was written to be uh, comical. So yeah. then finally, we have Is Love in the driver's seat, specifically romantic love. And this is where I I think that the answer is yes, but I think it's a complicated yes. Yeah. I think it's yes because, but it's like an underlying thing. It's understood that romance, their romantic love for one another is what's making them have to confront these things and decide whether or not. But So it's ultimately a truth confession that ignites the story and it's communication and the idea of how, you know, communicating with your partner and the lack of communication that has occurred up until this point that is Mm -hmm. driving the story. Like that is central to the conflict. So it's sort of an implied yes to the romance because if there was not romance, Like, if you didn't have this relationship, the movie wouldn't exist, right? Because they they wouldn't be there and they wouldn't be fighting to keep something. I don't think it's as overt as a lot of other stories, partially because it's not a rom-com in which we're trying to get two characters together. Instead, it's a rom-com that asks two people that have been together for a while to confront a serious problem in their relationship before getting married, um, before committing themselves more to each other. Well, it's not a come together because they can't. It's a stay together story. It's it's asking, you know, can love conquer all? And it's I think it's a really sweet story. And honestly, I think it should be required viewing for all heterosexual couples. <laughs> Because it also shows that 
queer people need communication skills too because in the wonderful book that Chelsea recommended I read called Kiss Her Once For Me by Alison Cochran. They make several notes throughout the story that gay women communicate. It's what they do. And in this, they didn't do that. So maybe it'll be refreshing for the cishets to know that the gays are just like them, except better. (laughs) Because they actually then make an effort to communicate at the end instead of just blowing up the relationship or being with the other person correct i i think this is this is a good one i think it's one that people should watch um i think for some people there might it might feel a little uneven yeah direction of the storytelling is a little i don't want to say unorthodox but it, it just doesn't it doesn't feel like a lot of rom-coms it feel it it's kind of an outlier like it fits into the genre and yet the way that the story is being told feels different some of the like like the cinematography the um the dialogue in particular they kind of talk over each other but not in like a Mm. quick way that you had in straight up because that was mostly just two people talking to each other the entire time here you have a group of people but it feels a lot more like you're at this bachelorette weekend with them. Mm -hmm. And that might be uncomfortable for some people. I understand why some people might not love this movie. Mm -hmm. But I think for other people, if you can get past that, I think you can really appreciate what is being said. I think this movie, there was at no point, I was like, this all feels like conversations that are actually had. This all feels like, problems that people actually have yeah Uh, so you know props to this movie and look if you can watch the breakfast club and enjoy that and that's just a bunch of nonsense over a single day you can watch this movie and enjoy it uh that's just my psa (laughs) chelsea i did want to ask how did you come across this movie because i had never heard of it before well madison i'm so glad you asked there is and I've, i've mentioned this in our film club because we watched an incredible sapphic movie in our film club on my my recommendation the best spy movie i've ever watched yeah it's called deb's Uh, And it's incredible and you should check it out. And it's like a spoof spy movie. But anyway, I found this movie the same way I found that movie. There is a channel on YouTube called Girlship. And they used to do a series called Drunk Lesbians Watch. (laughs) Where they basically filmed their reaction and it was like cut together. And so you saw clips of the movie and then them making commentary while they're watching it. And they got drunk as the name would imply. They were... Under the influence of alcohol (laughs) while giving their commentary. And I loved those. I watched every single episode. And this was one of the ones that they uh, reviewed. And so I watched it shortly after I probably watched that episode. Uh, And I've only ever seen it once before. But I, you know, I I like to bring the queer to this podcast. It's incredibly heterosexual. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, (laughs) I'll work on it. I've made comments in the past and people generally generalize that (laughs) women are just better at communication. And I think that I understand where this comes from. Um, I think it again centers men and their inability because of toxic masculinity and stuff to communicate if they 
have not been given the tools to express themselves in a healthy way. And so we see that reflected in stories about heterosexual folks. But I think here what you have is, is a really wonderful story about, you know, two women who have not been able to communicate. And the fact that they're women, I don't think is germane to to that fact it's not i'm sorry chelsea would you say that the goddamn germans got nothing to do with it that was a Smokey and the bandits reference for you please continue uh (laughs) tony i i like that went over i don't even understand what you're talking about i don't think the fact that they are queer women is super important to the plot like when it comes to queer media i think there are three kinds of stories there are the stories that are very much written for the outsider. They are written for heterosexual cisgender viewers as a kind of window into the queer experience. Mm -hmm. I think that then there are insider stories that are written for the community in which they're telling stories that are going to have a lot of content that if you're not familiar with it might be a little bit alienating. There might, they might take for granted that, you know, certain information, certain jokes, certain pieces of history that straight and cisgender folks might not actually know. Mm -hmm. And then I think this is kind of a third kind of story where I think that this is really accessible to a straight cis audience, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's pandering to them it feels like a story that any queer person could enjoy um I think ultimately it kind of it just takes away this idea that like we have to always have a conversation about queer trauma yeah you know like this is a story where like yes it's it's not always joyful like but the the moments where you have conflict they're not a like outside inside butting heads. Instead, it's just this individual couple and the other people around them are having trouble communicating. That's what the whole story is about. And yeah. so I find this movie very refreshing. I think it's I think it's really smart. I like the conversation that it's having. And I like I said, I think it it's kind of sits on this line where I don't think it's alienating. I don't think there's a lot of things that are like inside jokes that certain people might not understand and therefore can't access the like entire breadth of the comedy or drama. Instead, it's just, I don't know. I feel like it it balances both of those. And I'm not, for the record, I'm not saying that either types of those other two stories aren't worth telling. I think that they're both are important. I think both insider and outsider stories are important to tell. Um, But I think that this is a good, it's unique. I like it. And it feels just like, I don't know. It's just, it's just a nice story. I just like it. I just like (laughs) it, it, you know? And like I said, it's a tight 90 minutes. So it's not, you know, when you sit down, I don't, you you know, you don't have to like, like there, there's a really wonderful movie called The Handmaiden, which is a Korean, um, like thriller drama. And it's a sapphic movie and it's actually a retelling of, uh, Sarah Waters, um, The Fingersmith, um, which actually is, she's a British author and it takes place in like 18th or 19th century England. Um, and this Korean director t- really loved the story when he read it and he 
adapted it to be set in Korea. And so a lot of things changed, but like, it's still very much like you can tell it's an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, at least from what I've, I've heard, I've not actually read that book, but that movie is three hours long. <laughs> it's worth it. It's completely yeah. worth it. Madison. I would watch it right now if you wanted oh. to, like it, it, it's so good. But my point is, I think that like, I think there's just something to be said for a short movie, a short, a movie that gets in and gets out and, tells the story. I don't think that this story was lacking. I don't think it missed any points. I don't think it didn't have, I don't think there were pieces of of this conversation. I think each character, aside from Josh, who I think I I could have adapted, and I guess that would be a fix for this movie, is I think I would alter the character of Josh a bit, um, because I, I do think he falls into some unflattering stereotypes that I didn't really like and it sometimes felt out of place. I want Josh to be a himbo character. Yeah. Yeah. He could be yeah. a himbo character. But I think all of the other characters in their support of their friends are bringing in lots of perspectives that at times are unhelpful, but at times are really insightful. And I think that lends itself to the authenticity that the story brings to the screen. And I also think that it, can it has a much more nuanced conversation about this mm-hmm. than I think a different story might. And the fact that it's all 90 minutes means that like, like I don't think time is wasted no. in this movie. They're not trying to do a bunch of things that they don't need to be doing. Like it, they're concise and they're precise. And I think the result is pretty great. I feel like someone could walk in and argue the, you know, confession cam, intervals may not be super necessary to the story but I would disagree because I think it helps frame each character's approach to the conflict you know why they may support this solution this option or why they're able to go up to Andy and say hey maybe Lou can't climax because she doesn't feel safe with you because they've had instances where they themselves have not felt safe in their sexuality, both Vivian and Karen, Corrine, Corinne, unfortunately had, you know, traumatic instances that led them to feel unsafe in those situations. And so it really, when it colors them in as side, you know, I love a good colored inside character. It's one of my favorite things. But it also really helps establish their approach to the situation in a way that I don't think could have been done without those asides. I agree. Honestly, my only fix for this is altering Josh. I don't know if you have any other comments, but that would be where I altered this story. Yeah, I honestly, I I really loved the sister character. I thought that it was a really raw and good depiction of a potentially strained sibling dynamic that shows also how they kind of stick together through that and can come through for one another even when their their personal relationship isn't at its best i liked every character helen the most um with the exception of josh and i just felt like he was really there just to sprinkle in the toxic masculinity. And we've discussed before how there's got to be one. Apparently it's a rule. There's got to be one. I just, I felt like it was completely unnecessary. 
It didn't add anything to the story. I don't I don't think it did. Him professing his love to Andy didn't add anything. Him honestly, him sleeping with Nikki didn't really add a whole lot other than it kind of prompted that maybe Andy and Lou have some communication issues. And Nikki and Lou have a strained relationship and it kind of underscores it. You can get that in other ways. Maybe yeah. I'll just kick him out entirely. I haven't She decided. she could have instead uh slept with the Uber driver. Invited yeah. him in. Invited Doug in. And then they could they we could have had a really funny scene in the middle of the night where someone gets up to get a glass of water and Doug, their Uber driver, who they didn't know was in the house, is just like eating nachos or something. Yeah, he, he could be buck naked mixing up brownies. Yeah. Be great. Or they come down in the morning and there's like a beautiful three-tiered cake and they're like, where did this come from? (laughs) And then Doug is just passed out on the couch. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. I think that that would have been funny. That would have been amazing. So Chelsea, now we get to one of my favorite parts, which is the watchability score. What is a watchability score, Madison? Thank you for asking. Uh, it is a scale that we have sort of adapted uh, that uh, from a walkability score that realtors may use to decide how close in proximity a location would be to amenities such as shopping centers, schools, parks, restaurants what have you uh ours is on a scale of one to five so we start out with one stranded in the desert two is a back roads barbecue three is a strip mall in suburbia four is four blocks from a transit stop and five is the best coffee is right downstairs and they don't charge extra for oat milk they never charge extra for non-dairy alternatives because they know that some of us can't tolerate it So, Madison, what would you give the feels? (sighs) Chelsea, you know what? I am going to abandon my inhibitions. I'm leaving them at the door. It's a five. Great. It's a five because it's a very approachable movie. It's a funny movie. It's an honest movie. It has the cutaway scenes that I like. I mean... As Constance Wu, and I just fucking love Constance Wu. Yeah. Even if I couldn't get into her memoir, I'm sorry, I tried. I just honestly, she's like the most famous person in this movie, right? Like, yeah. Everybody else, like, there were people, like, I, I definitely recognized. Is it Angela Timber who is Lou? But when I looked her up, you know, she's really been in like a handful of episodes of this, a handful of episodes of that. Yeah. And even the film is like, they were not things that I recognized. Like, she's like, what do they call them? A working actor where like, they're making a living, but they're not like, they don't have the star power. Um, and everyone else are are not people that I recognized. And even when I looked them up, they they had not been in things that I, that I recognized. But Constance Wu, obviously fresh off the boat and also Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. So, I mean, she is... A face that people recognize. I thought I thought people's performances in this film were really great. It's kind of fun, and especially because this wasn't that long ago, right? This was no, a 2017 it's... film, so yeah. the year or two before Crazy Rich Asians, right? Yeah, so it was right before she 
kind of really launched onto the scene. Well, I mean, she was doing Fresh Off the Boat, right? Before that, but... Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, I am going to give this a slightly lower score than you. I'm going <gasps> to give this a 4.75. See, I almost went there, but then I was like, no, nope, live wild. I love it. No, it's great. No, I and honestly, the only thing holding me back from the five is that while I do think this is accessible, I think that for reasons I, I stated earlier, I think there are pieces of this movie that feel a little jarring and even for me I mean I had watched this previously and I knew that I liked the movie at the beginning I felt a little like uneasy so I do think you have to like kind of get into the rhythm of the film before yeah you really grab onto it but ultimately this film I it's great well Y'all can also tell us what you think of it a couple different ways. One, you can email us at loveitforscreening at gmail.com. You can slide into our DMs, all sexy-like or not, uh, at, on Instagram at loveitforscreening. But you can also express your voice in another way. And how is that, Chelsea? In our poll. Woo! Every week following the most recent episode of the podcast, we have a cute little poll and some of you might be wondering, Chelsea, has there been a poll? Because I've really been shirking my responsibilities, <laughs> uh, mostly because I had the plague for a little while. You look um, great, even with all the you. boils and pustules and yeah, stuff. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. But yeah, you can enjoy those on the Instagram story at some point between the episode releasing and the next episode releasing. I used to tell you they were Thursdays, but honestly, they've been coming out on Mondays a lot. So... <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Time has never been linear. It just hasn't. And that's fine. Speaking of time, mm -hmm. what will we be watching the next time we are together? God, Chelsea, that is a question and a half. I think if I'm not mistaken, which we have been a couple times this season for things out of our control, the next time... We will be talking to you. We will be watching Mr. Right featuring a guest because I'm not the expert next time because I've never seen it. Chelsea has seen it, but it's not a cynic's choice. No, we are bringing Emma back this season so she can be the expert. So I get another week off. Yeah. Well, you know, she was just so incredible during last season when she was on with us to discuss Simply Irresistible. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we decided to give her her own episode. She yeah. she picked the movie. She's coming in hot with all of the intimate knowledge of it. And both of us get to just hang out and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we'll really decide whether or not I keep Madison because... If Emma, if Emma can can run the show, then maybe I don't need you. Okay, but would Emma make you spinach dip pasta? Um, I don't know. Because I could do I think, that for you. I made that for dinner tonight, and it was delicious. So it sounds delicious. Thank you. Emma could make me baked goods. I can make you baked goods. I can make you mm. bread. Mmm. All right, well, we'll see what Emma has to say about all of this next time. <laughs> I hope everyone's looking forward to that. As of right now, of recording this, you can find Mr. Right on Netflix. 
if you have a subscription to Netflix. If you don't just pirate it, it's a victimless yeah. crime. It really is. <laughs> Honestly. The streaming platforms are stealing from anybody who would get royalties anyway. I actually found out recently that apparently in like, so the the time period which determines whether or not like a new streaming show would get a second season, let's say, which is like the first two weeks that it's out or something like that. That's the time that the show, like the streaming platforms, based on the numbers during those two weeks, generally that's what they're looking at to see whether or not a show is quote unquote profitable. Mm. But do you know what doesn't happen during those two weeks when people watch the show? What? People like the writers don't actually get paid for the views in those two weeks. They don't get paid until after that period of time. Just remember, everybody, the basis of capitalism is what? Exploitation. Exploitation. Thanks, kids. We should just get all of our friends who have kids to just say exploitation and we'll cut it all together. Yeah, like like we're a fucking uh, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Sesame Street, Blue's Clues, <laughs> Dora the Explorer. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. when they they have the yeah. Oh my god! Yes, just an anti-capitalist chorus of children. Oh my god! The anti-capitalist <laughs> children's choir, everyone. <laughs> just... Exploitation. The means of production doesn't belong to the workers. <laughs> we have anti-racist babies and now we have an anti-capitalist child choir when will the sanity end (laughs) when people are treated with fucking human decency that's when oh my god and paid a livable wage i absolutely know it heresy (laughs) don't worry i'm setting chelsea's box on fire right now maybe i'll add in a a clip of like me striking a lighter Mm. Mm. oh my god and yet earlier in this episode you said you had never committed arson look i've only set one person on fire one time and he's fine he just had a he just had a baby well his wife had a baby it's fine Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on this (laughs) climactic adventure. Oh god. I hope you'll come next time to listen to the next episode. Once again, we are Love at First Screening. We are here every Wednesday talking about all of the rom-coms you love, love to hate, and everything in between. So, until next time. 